0: Expressed Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Roland, and I am so excited to bring you today's guest. Today, I have my friend and colleague, Ken Rosasin. Ken is a men's leadership coach and facilitator, and he helps men become their best selves. I have personally been able to witness Ken in action and experience some of his magical work, and he is truly the embodiment of the divine masculine, and I am so excited to share some of his story with you today. Welcome, Ken. (laughs) You're so welcome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? How did you get to where you are today?
1: Well, yeah, it's a great question. It's something actually that I ask every man that I work
2: with, like who are you? And why are you here? it's, It's something
1: that I feel like I'll probably spend my whole life trying to answer who I am. And I mean, my story is, is long. There's a lot to it and things like that. So I won't go into all of it, but essentially I've, I've lived a lot of life and I've seen a lot of things and, and the lessons that I've learned, I try to use to help other people now. And I can, share with you a little bit of my background around that like i grew up back east and then my family we moved out to california when i was about eight years old and it's a lot different from back east and when i came to california the place that we lived i grew up in there was a lot of like drugs and things like that and so um i got into doing drugs at a pretty young age And i bring that up because i think that's a big part of what really shaped who I am today was my addictions and things like that. And so I started off about 15 years old, you know, drinking, and then around 16, started doing meth and things. And, um, I was in rehab by the time I was 18 years old. Right. And I stayed in rehab to get off alcohol. I mean, to get off meth. And then when I got out, I relapsed a few times, but then, I stayed drinking for the next like ten or twelve years, right? So alcohol became kind of my drug of choice for a long time, and I also became a father at a really young age. I was I was eighteen when my oldest daughter was born, who I've never actually met in person yet, and we're still in contact, you know. But um, she didn't find out about me until she was about eighteen. She's now 27. So, so yeah, I've got four children and two girls, two boys, and they have three different mothers. And so that's also been a big part of my story as well. It's like being a father at a really young age, I was forced to grow up really quickly and started working. You know, pretty young and trying to make a living, trying to provide for my kids. And what I what I know now is that, you know, I struggled a lot for a lot of reasons. I didn't have, you know, very many role models. My father, you know, I forgive him and love him very much. I know he tried his best, but he was not really there as far as a strong role model, you know? and not very much a disciplinarian he was he had he his own battles with health things like that which he was in and out of the hospital which was impacted me also a lot and and my mother you know had to like step up in a lot of ways because my dad just physically
2: wasn't able to to do, do those things and so she had a job and worked most of her life as well but um Yeah, I became a father at a really young age. And I know that, you know, that didn't give me much time to figure things out. And so I'm
1: like, okay, here we go. Let's uh, do our best. And so I I did the best I could. And I realized now I didn't have very many tools. And, And so I turned to alcohol and things like that for a long time just to try to manage my stress. To try to be able to cope with things, but uh, I had I've been in many relationships and and learned from those experiences. I went from one relationship to the next, and it's kind of like also, you know, shaped my work today. I bring that up because a lot of the work I do is I help people with relationships, especially intimate relationships, um, and I feel like I. I've had a lot of experience there, so I can have a lot to share <laughs> in that, that room. But, um, yeah, I think that my story has become more and more something that I want to share. So thank you for asking me about that and giving me an opportunity to share a little bit around that. Maybe we can we can, we can go a little little bit deeper, you know, as we, as we go along.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, your story is so important, I think, because you touch on so many things that and your life has touched on so many things that I think so many people struggle with, but don't necessarily even know they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And for example, two of the things that really stood out to me that you said was one, you realized that you didn't have many role models and that your father wasn't really around very much. And I don't think that we as humans in to- to today's society really fully understand just how important it is for especially men to have male role models in their lives. And that that bond and that relationship is, like, really, really, really important. And I'm curious if you wouldn't mind speaking more to that, whether it's your personal experience or what you see with the men that you work with.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I would consider my father, he was there. But uh, in things that I, work that I do, we we look at, like, absent father or weak father as has very much the same result. Right. Even if, if your father wasn't around, you just don't have him as a role model. Well. But if your father's there, and he's like a very weak, not strong, masculine figure. Um, it can have the same effect. And so there was no grounding force in our household. My mom, you know, tried to become that. And so she was very, what I would consider very masculine. And she tried to be the disciplinarian. And um, she wasn't very good at that, which... I think it. it you know, I'm talking gender roles here, but it's like typically women. You know, that's not the role they want to take on, right? They'd rather be the nurturer and and take on that role. My mother tried to be the disciplinarian, so my father couldn't couldn't really do that, do that. And so the effect on me was that like I said there was no there was no discipline, there was no structure, there was no grounding force in the household, and so. When I became a teenager, I just left the house and started to get involved with people who were doing things that, you know, weren't so good for me and got involved with people who were in gangs, alcoholics, drug addicts, a lot of criminals and things like that. Um, And I didn't know it then, but that was part of me trying to figure out who I was. And so what, what I feel is like. When there's no strong masculine in the household the boys go who the fuck am i, mm, I don't know, yeah here, but like,
0: <laughs> totally yes absolutely fully <laughs> yeah. but, exactly but
1: but uh so i, I realized now looking back i was like i didn't have a, a male figure to help me understand who i was my father didn't know what he was who, who he was and he still doesn't know who he is you know so when, as that relates to the work that i do with men and we talked about this before, like I was involved with Sacred Sons for many years and and that really helped shape the work I'm doing now. A lot of the work we did then was around rites of passage and helping men understand that it's like, it's not your fault. Like you, you probably were like most other young men who didn't have any instructions, any direction, you know, so you did the best you could with what you had. And so that's like, I see that right now. I see them. That, that typically I would say my clients are, were very similar to me, you know, whether their father was there or not. Very few of them had strong male role models. And the ones that did, it was more like overbearing, you know, I know that we're in the same, you know, line of work. And so that may resonate with you as well, but it's like, some of them were like perfectionist fathers, military fathers, very hard-nosed. And so that has a, an effect on a young boy as well and yeah. can be very self-critical. But uh, I think whichever way they go, it has a very similar result. Just this like, they don't know who they are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One is like a lost boy and the other is like is more like, doesn't know who he is because he's been told who he's supposed to be. And so he mm, should become yeah. what he was told he was supposed to be. And either way, they don't know who they are. Yeah. Which, which really like has become more of what my work is right now. Like the question like you asked me, like, who are you? You know? And, and it's like, that's the, that's the question. that I'm helping men answer and helping them strip away a lot of, old programming that maybe society you know has has given them or their their father or the people in their lives growing up and help them shed these different layers and help them be able to find who they are you know beyond different roles that they've taken on or their career or things like that or their whatever they're identifying with right now i try to help them expand that and
0: that of that identity a little bit yeah mm, yeah so beautiful so beautiful thanks for that yeah and uh you know to, to clarify for those listening too and i've said this before on the podcast and i think that it's still something that we kind of have to repeat for people over and over and over again is that like you were talking about it's not necessarily like gender roles but in nature whether it's humans or animals or even plant species the feminine and the masculine have different features and different natural tendencies and different um natural ways of being that they in their like unthreatened unstressed out state would naturally want to be in and so um, what Ken was talking about there, and which I often talk about with my clients too, is like embodying your feminine nature or your masculine nature. And everyone has both, right? But men tend to have a little bit more masculine and women tend to have a little bit more feminine. So what he's pointing to is not like, oh, women need to be the nurturer and men need to be the dis- disciplinarian. But it is a part of our natural way of being a lot of times. And I think it's really important for people to... Um, hear that and and know that that's okay because I think that in our world today, too, there's a a lot of this, like, oh, well, like, you're saying that women need to be in in the house or something or, like, it's, like, not about that at all, right? It's less about, like, what it looks like and it's it's more about how you're being. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Just want to clarify that. (laughs) I mean,
1: a lot of what – yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's really important to, to clarify because I, I want to honor everybody's own unique expressions and in, in this. And so like when I when I talk about masculine and feminine, I'm using like maybe more classic like traits that we attribute to one or the other. Right? Yeah. But that it's also on the spectrum, you know. And and so I actually like to think of things like like on that spectrum when we can kind of break free from these gender roles and it's things are more fluid Mm -hmm. you know and i and i think that ultimately as human beings in general like i feel like we are evolving to be able to break out of these gender roles and to all become a little bit more flexible a little bit more fluid on how we think of ourselves whereas in the past it has been very rigid It's like man, woman, you know, and this is what a woman does. This is what a man does. And it's just like no flexibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I just, I just think that we have to start looking at things differently in that way. And in a part of what's going on right now, I see there's a shift, you know, taking place in, in human beings that identify as men and human beings who identify as women or, or, or both, you know, and non-binary brothers and sisters and siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing because what it's doing, it's, it's, this is the part I believe of us getting to know who we are at a deeper level so that we're not just placing ourselves in this restricted, like, gender identity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so
2: for me, totally. Yeah.
0: Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, you're good. I think we have a slight delay for a second here. So <laughs> I apologize, oh, okay. but, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. but I totally agree with you. And I think it goes back to what you're talking about. Um, I think that, you know, in the search for who we are, especially as young adults and and as we grow up, we tend to – hang on to different identities. And as adults, they become so embedded in who we see ourselves to be. And I think a lot of the work that you and I are both doing with men, as you said, helps men unpack who they think they are and really discover who they actually are. And a part of that is this identification with being with a man, being a man, excuse me, um, that, like a man should be XYZ or should not be XYZ and breaking free from those stories actually allows men and everyone else to like discover truly for themselves who they are. So I think it all ties in. (laughs) Totally.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think of myself as someone who has a lot of access to my own feminine, you know, and, and I love that part of myself and it's helped me feel more free in who I am, you know, and, and also the way I look at it is like, if you have a body, you have a feminine, you know, me and you have had mm-hmm. these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. If people can understand that, it's like, if you have a body, you have a feminine energy and, and that's a beautiful thing. we can connect deeper to that and, and understand what that feels like for us. And help men connect to their emotions to feel to feel more connected to their body, and also if I can understand my own feminine parts of myself, then I can relate better to the feminine on the outside of me. You know,
0: absolutely, you know, the feminine absolutely. beings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and vice versa. totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I love it. I totally agree. And I also wanted to talk to you about something else that you said when you were introducing yourself um, about how you used alcohol to manage your stress and cope with things, the pressures of being a young dad, everything else that you were going through. And um, again, I think that this is something that a lot of people can relate to. Maybe it's not alcohol, but maybe it's masturbation. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's food. Like there's so many different things out there that people use to um, help them like, well, they think help them manage stress and cope with what they're going yeah. through. And so I would love to um, hear a little bit more about that too. And, and um, you know, you also said along with that that you didn't have many tools otherwise for dealing with that stuff. So along with that, mm-hmm. what tools have you developed to now in a healthy way help yourself um, work through all the things that you go through on a daily b- yeah. life being a human?
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I guess what we would like refer to it maybe maybe you resonate with this. It's like it's like a numbing.
0: Right. Mm, yeah
1: and so alcohol, pornography, sex, you know, I had mental struggles with pornography, addictions, sex addiction, so many addictions, you know, and looking back now, I can, I can see that it was the way I, I tried to numb so that it didn't feel because I, I felt overwhelmed, you know, by, by feeling so much. And so I tried to, Mitigate that through different things with alcohol and drugs and sex. And some of the things that I developed along the way that really helped me are like, I guess one of the biggest things I learned that got me where I am today is around NLP. And I don't know if you're Mm. familiar with, probably you're familiar with NLP, neuro neuro linguistic programming. And in that, what it did for me is it was like, you don't have to think about all the things you're thinking about all the time. And I was like, wait, okay. Like I until that point. I was just, I, the way I controlled my mind and my, in my nervous system was through alcohol because I couldn't slow it down. Otherwise I didn't, I didn't know how to do that. And so once I got the permission that I, that I could, Oh, I don't have to think about this. And then I started learning different tools, the way the mind works. And it was like, Okay, you can like you stop. Don't tell yourself to not think about something. Give your mind something else to do, right? And you're probably familiar with that, with like meditation. It's like to tell your mind not think about something doesn't actually really, really, it's not really effective and working. And so, giving <laughs> something else to do, like focusing on the breath or focusing on counting or things like that. Right? Is well, some those are the, some of the things that I learned first. It really started to help me. I was like, okay. I'm gonna stop telling myself to not think about these things that are making me fearful and I'm gonna give myself something else to do. So I would start to train my mind and and that started really helping a lot. And within a short period of time, I went from like being on anxiety medication every day for like ten years plus alcohol, to like being able to like finally get off the medication and stop drinking. And that was like a really big part of me getting completely clean and sober eventually. Right. But, um, I would say some of the most valuable tools that, that I have now are my breath. And so I have a lot of different types of breathing that I use depending on, you know, what state I want to create within myself. And like right before the podcast, cause I want to be Nice and relaxed, and so I've started doing some diaphragmatic breathing to try to calm my nervous system and, and so that I can be as present here with you as possible and feel relaxed and calm and at ease. And so I think these are some of the tools that most of society doesn't have yet.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: and I, the good news is I think you know as well as I do, it's like breath work is spreading, like Nervous system, you know, regulation and stuff like that is really becoming mainstream. Like, oh, like, this is what your parasympathetic nervous system is. This is what your you know, sympathetic nervous system is. This is how they work. This is what they do. And, you know, so there's a lot of awareness around these things now. But it wasn't that way for a long
0: time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And the other good news is that a lot of it, like like the tools you just mentioned, like working with your thoughts and working with your breath, like that doesn't cost money, right? Like you can just learn how to do it and and sit there in your house and work on it. So that's beautiful. I love that. And yeah, I I love that you brought up the nervous system regulation in general because I definitely over the past year have really come to understand just how important that is. And the way that I always like describe it to people who don't really fully get it is like, you know, if, and if you have any other examples, please let me know. But, um, I often describe it to people like, you know, anger is a very visceral emotion that a lot of people can feel. And so I'm sure that most people have felt at some point in their life, If they've gotten angry, they can feel it in their bodies, right? You might like shake, you might tense, you might like grit your teeth, whatever. Um, And you can feel that and then through nervous system regulation work like breath work and other things like you might see that same thing or have that same experience that previously made you angry and you might still have some kind of reaction to it right you might still not like it you might still be bothered by it but you don't have that like full body fight or flight or freeze response that comes with it right that like elevates your heartbeat that brings the hormones up all that stuff you actually are able to like like work through it in a in a more regulated way and even if you do experience it that's not bad but you're able to flush it out like you get the tools to let go of that response rather than having it be stored in your body um what what about you is that like an accurate uh description in in your perspective yeah
1: yeah i feel like to explain like addiction to people to help them understand i feel like it's a, It comes from an inability to regulate your nervous system and Mm. a fear of feeling these emotions. And then we get surged with cortisol and all these things that make our body feel uncomfortable when we get angry Mm -hmm. or get scared. Right. And so, so what we do is because we don't know how to like manage that. We try to avoid
2: those things Mm from happening.
1: But now that I have these tools that I've developed and I go, oh, wait, this is just chemicals in my body and fear is just like an emotion it's a sensation and there's like thoughts that go along with that but ultimately like now that i have the tools i don't avoid those situations anymore because i know that i can move through it even if the fear comes up okay there it is okay it's a sensation i feel all the chemicals in my body now Okay, now i know what to do i have some breath and i can start to breathe into the nose slowly out of the mouth, you know, put my hand in my belly and just use my diaphragm to breathe. Um, but this is not what most people's experience is. They just, mm-hmm. they feel this way and they, they just, they don't know what it is. They don't even realize. Yeah. Most of the people aren't aware enough to go, oh, this is something I can control.
0: It feels right.
1: out of their control. Right. So um, I feel like once people start to to develop these tools, then they then they stop using things to numb out, you know,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah,
1: and like there's like what's called like white knuckle sobriety, right?
2: Mm. It's like <laughs> I'm
1: gonna stay sober or like the no thing, which is great. People stop from watching porn and things like that, you know. I think that's a first step, but ultimately, what I want to help people do is is develop the ability. Instead of white knuckling and just doing their best to force themselves to stay abstinent from drug, alcohol or porn or whatever, that they know that 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 they have the tools necessary to be relaxed, even if they're around it, you know, like, oh, shit, I'm totally. feeling nervous, I'm feeling fear come up. Okay, just breathe, take care of yourself. Maybe go step aside for a second if you're feeling triggered, but take care of yourself, give yourself what you need right,
0: and I think that's what's what's missing yeah yeah, absolutely, absolutely. that actually um you know goes right into my other cur- curiosity that I had while you were talking. um I'm curious to hear more about your transition from um addiction to where you are now because something that is really in my in my space uh as I as I continue to, continue to do this work in the world and really want to help as many people as I can, um, you know, you said like breath work is spreading and other nervous system regulation things and other healing modalities are spreading, which I would agree with you actually. And I sometimes wonder if our perspectives on that are slightly skewed because we are in a lot of healing spaces and a lot of around a lot of people who are already open to these types of conversations and modalities and things like that. So as I continue to like do this work in the world, something that I'm really thinking about is like, okay, how do I reach the person who has no idea that this is a possibility? Not, not just that breathwork exists, but the person who has no idea that there's something possible, possibly different for their life right? Who's caught in this cycle, who is is really hurting and numbing out like you're talking about and has been told their whole life that like their life will never change. This is it. How does one go? How do we reach them? And how, how did you go from that state of like cyclical addiction and numbing out to finding this path to who you are today?
1: Yeah. Thank you. I think it's a great question. <laughs> It was a hard lesson for me to, to learn that I can't reach everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> and
1: because, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like I wanted to. So what I've learned is that like, I focus my time, energy, and intention on those who are already, that they already see and feel like, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a different reality that's available to me. And then there's all those people out there and that if you try to share with them something that is too far away from their own experience, it can be like almost offensive and invalidating. You know what I'm saying? And so what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is like, there's a lot of people who just aren't ready yet. And so that's okay. Like they they are still you know in a place where they want to sit in their pain they don't even know it but they probably want to sit in their pain for a little bit longer and and so I I say I say this let's get the awareness out there let's try to make it as available as possible but I really want to focus my attention on those who come to me and are like hey what's this breathwork stuff like i have a feeling like this could really help me you know you know what I mean and and I just I've learned that i don't spend i do my best to not spend too much energy focusing on trying to convince people of anything anymore
2: <laughs> does that make sense
0: totally make sense? yeah i i yeah. absolutely hear you and i agree that people have to be ready for sure like and yeah. i think I I literally was just having this conversation with my sister-in-law today where like there are people who really do just want to sit in their pain. She used the, she used the phrase, uh, he wasn't happy unless he was unhappy, (laughs) you know, and there are definitely Mm -hmm. people who are like that. And a lot of it does come from trauma and, and other situations during upbringing. So I have so much compassion for it for sure. Um, Yeah, I just get this like – I get this excitement because to me, you know, the the work that – this healing work is to me what is going to – save the world and also make the world a better place and, and, um, help the earth continue in its best way. Although she'll go on without us, of course, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but help us stay here longer, you know? Um, and so yeah. I get so excited and passionate about it and want it to reach every crevice of the earth. And, um, but yeah. I, I totally agree with you that, People have to be ready. People have to be willing. Willingness is the number one thing that I look for in a client as well. They don't mm-hmm. have to have any type of background. They don't have to have any type of idea of what we're getting into. But as long as they're willing to go there, like that's what that's what it is about for me. So yeah, I hear you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Totally
1: agree. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And and I think just to what you were saying, like I think definitely my perception is more on the positive side of like yes it's spreading because i'm surrounded by breath workers and everyone i know is constantly doing ayahuasca and mushrooms <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know and so so my world it's like it's already here right you know, it's like it's an everyday thing so i i definitely think that that, that changes my perspective but i also like I, I can separate myself and i see like you know there's a place called breathe degrees and Cosbad, shout out to those guys there. It's like one of the first places I know that they're like a gym, but they're focused on like cold plunge, like cold therapy and breath work.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: that's i never heard of it before, but it's like becoming more mainstream. Yeah, it's in yeah. San Diego. I don't know how 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 much of that exists in other places. But but what I do see is I feel like it's spreading. It's just I gotta be more patient. Change yeah happen slowly you know and like like trevor hall says one of our both of our favorite artists yeah (laughs) like you you can't can't rush your healing you can't rush anybody Mm -hmm. else's healing You know, Mm -hmm. and so it's like i gotta remember to be patient and keep focusing on doing my own healing and getting the word out there to as many people who are ready it's like yeah my mission
0: yeah yeah Totally, totally, and I also I have to consistently remind myself too that truly the best thing you can do for the world is heal yourself, right? So, continuing to focus on that,
1: (laughs) one hundred percent. It's like it has to start within us, yeah, and it's like never stops. Yeah, (laughs) that's the good news and the bad news.
0: Yeah, totally. (laughs) But, I've definitely said to my coach multiple times, When am I done? Why am I not done yet? <laughs>
1: right. I know. It's it, it 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 just it feels like we're gonna get to a place where we can just be like, Oh, we're done. But what I found is more like we we just get to another, you know, peak and then we get the rest. And then we mm-hmm. got to the peak, oh it go, the mountain goes higher. You know I mean? <laughs> oh, okay. And then we get to that peak and we're like, Oh, yep. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I just get used to it. Yeah. It's just like, I see where I'm going. All right, let's get there. And then when I get there, we're not done. I just get to rest and breathe.
0: Yeah. You know? And then sometimes yeah. you look to your right and you're like, wait, I thought I climbed that mountain already. Exactly. Why is it, what's
2: it doing
1: here? Right? Exactly. Totally. <laughs> you're like, I conquered that one. That's, that's my mom mountain.
2: You know, yeah. You know what that is? I yeah to copy
1: that one. Wait, there's, there's more to
0: climb than that one? <laughs> yeah. yeah so funny so true so true i love it yeah um well again i would love to hear a little bit more about your um journey out of addiction and and how you did make that transition
1: yeah so um i'll try to make a very long complicated story short and just start talking about the important points but like some of the biggest like turning points in my life were um, I went to prison for a while back in 2010. And, and that was, uh, a life-changing life-altering experience. And I went, I went to prison for about two and a half years. And during that time I learned a lot of lessons and it was a very scary place. And I, It was like, it was my own, right. It was my form of a rite of passage
2: Mm. and
1: where I got separated from the whole world that I used to know. I'm in this new scary world, right. And away from everyone and everything that I love. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I learned from prison, and there were so many, but, um, the, the part of me that felt like a victim died, like mm. really died and left in prison. And I remember one of the things I used to tell guys in there because they'd come in, you know, like when I was in county fighting my case, they'd come in and be like, "Dude, how do you stay so positive, man? Uh, like, I'm so scared. Like, like I don't know when I'm gonna get out. I don't know what's gonna happen to me. Like, how do you stay so positive?" I'm like, "I just refuse to make like let this be a waste of time. So I want to make the best of every moment in here and." a part of how I was able to do that was because I decided to take full responsibility with, for the reason that I was in there, you know, it was a temptation to be like, Oh, the police, the system, my parents, my, my children's mothers, how evil they were, you know, like, Oh, it's because of them. I'm here. And, and, or whatever, you know, or the drugs or even blaming the drugs. Like, Mm -hmm. I had to get to the point where I was like, no, I am fully responsible for, for why I'm in here now let's start there. Right. And so that gave me the power to do something about it because I stopped blaming other people and feeling like a victim and I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to let this be a waste of time. I'm going to do whatever I can to learn everything I can while I was in there. So that was a big turning point in my life. I got out and you know, things were pretty rough. I didn't really have anywhere to go. I hit the streets. And but I was still very much like an empowered place. And so when I, I started doing drugs again, but I was like, I'm choosing, nobody's forcing you to do this. You're choosing to do this again. Right. And so I like I went into everything I was dealing with conscious awareness. And in making responsible choices, responsible meaning I was choosing them, even if they weren't the best choices. Right. So shortly after being released from prison, I was doing very similar stuff, but I stopped, I stopped stealing and I stopped robbing people as much. And I, and, and um, I started to like pull back on a little, little, the criminal activities that got me in so much trouble because I didn't want to go back to prison.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I started to look for a way out. Um, but shortly after that, I, me in a, who was one of my best friends at the time before this happened, we got an altercation and a friend of mine, Heather, who was his ex-girlfriend he used to beat her. And, and she finally was like, I've had enough of this. And so she wanted to leave him. So she was hanging around me as a part of like protection. And so she was staying with me, but anyways, that led to an altercation between me and my friend who was six foot four you know, skinhead, one of, one of the most dangerous people you could ever meet in your life. And, and me back then, I was a different person. Like, you know me as this person, but the person back mm-hmm. then was very capable of, of violence. Mm. And, and um, doing whatever I needed to do to survive. Right. And so when it came, when he started coming close to me, he started threatening me because I was protecting her, I, things escalated very quickly because you have two men who are, who aren't going to back down and are willing to to do whatever it takes to, to survive including kill each other. So we ended up meeting in the same place. We didn't know each other. We're going to be there. And I had no weapon. I was going down to get a gun from my drug dealer, who was a very good friend of mine. And I was going to go kill him. And, and he was looking for me to kill me. And so we ran into each other. And I'm glad that things happened the way they did. But uh I was like unprepared. And so all that I had as a way to defend myself was a tire iron. And he came at me, and I know he's got multiple guns. And he happened to have two knives with him. I didn't have anything I picked up the tire iron. And he came at me, and I hit him with the tire iron, split his head open. But he's a big guy. And he. I had two knives and he came at me and he stabbed me six times and I've got scars all over and he had an artery here. And I started bleeding to death almost immediately He punctured my lung. I started, my lung started filling up with blood and he punctured me in my abdomen and stabbed me in my abdomen. And long story short, like, I don't really know how I lived and, but I made it through that. And that experience, um, as I was bleeding to death, in my friend's mother's bathroom, um, I I decided I was like, okay, well, if I don't calm down, I'm gonna bleed faster. And I remember the thought in my head: I was like, okay, this is how this is how everybody dies in prison. That's how everybody pretty much dies in prison: they get stabbed, and then they don't get medical attention, and they just bleed out. And so I'm like, that's what's happening to me right now. I feel really woozy and lightheaded and cold, and um. And I realized I was like, oh, you you made it many times before when you almost died, but this time you're not going to make it. And so what that did was like it changed the whole experience for me because I had the presence of mind to just accept it. And I was like, I'm going to die this time. And so it put everything in perspective immediately. And so my friend Heather was right there. And I said, Heather, I need you to do something for me. I need you to tell my children how much I love them. And she was like, no, she knew exactly what I was saying. And she was like, no,
2: you're not gonna die. You're not gonna die.
1: Don't say that, don't say that. I'm like, it's okay. I'm like, I just need to know that you're gonna tell my kids how much I love him. And then she was like, yes, of course. And she was screaming and crying and I was still bleeding. I couldn't get it to stop. And that was the thing, it was like, this hit an artery and we couldn't get it stopped. She was trying to help me get it stop, and I couldn't get it stop. but anyways, I had the presence of mind. I was like, okay, I've got to do something about the bleeding. And so I took my shirt and I tied a tourniquet above here, and just tied as tight as I could. I'm like, I'm going to, otherwise I'm going to bleed to death. But I had the presence of mind because I wasn't freaking out anymore. But the reason why I share the story is because that became one of the most powerful experiences of my life because I fully accepted I was going to die. Whereas before in my life, when I had many close calls to death, I didn't actually think I was going to die. I was like, wow, that was a close call. I can't believe I didn't die. But this time, I accepted it. And so it changed everything. It immediately put everything in perspective. And you've probably heard about like near-death experiences. Well, this was a near-death experience where I got to fully accept my death. And so when I didn't die, um, I bled out in the ambulance and I passed out. But I ended up waking up later on. And they saved my life at the hospital and did surgery immediately. But... But uh, that was a turning point in my life to where I almost completely let loose of the fear of death. Not to say that Mm. it is completely gone, but I'm going to tell you right now, the fear of death just isn't in me like it used to be. And I I realized what's important at that moment. So I started to live from a different place with that that perspective always within me. Some other experiences too, you know, that really have powerful, profound effects on me.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll save that. Save that for the next. Maybe we'll do a part two.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. That is um so powerful. Thanks for for allowing us all to witness you in that. That's really really incredible. And um yeah, it just it really brings me present to just how powerful the mind is, right? Like for people who are listening that may never have an experience like you just had. I think it's still such a beautiful example of like just how mindset like can completely change everything. Like your 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 mind can overcome so much even physical things in your body. And I've experienced it, you've experienced it. A lot of people in our circles have where like doing this work to like help regulate your mind and help regulate your nervous system can even help you in like a near-death experience like that like that's crazy and and amazing and and i the other thought i had was like yeah um you know god just wasn't done with you yet you know like it does it (laughs) doesn't surprise me at all you know (laughs) that like you were meant to be here and and to help other people with your with your story with your being like Uh, For those listening, like I've been in ceremony with Ken and he is one of the most healing presences, especially as a a masculine presence who is in touch with his feminine. For the feminine, it's so healing to have someone like yourself who brings both of those elements so powerfully. That like one point in the ceremony, I was like, Ken, I need you to touch me right now. <laughs> so it's clear that you were, you know, meant to um, go through what you've been through and, and to help people here because it's it's so powerful what, who you are and what you do. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah thank you. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Some of my
1: favorite places to be in are in that space, you know. Other people are very vulnerable and things are coming up and I'd like to be that grounding force because I know exactly what it's like to, to, to open and feel the pain come right to the surface and, you know, not knowing what necessarily what to do in that space. And so i love to be there for people in that way.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, through all of your experiences that you've shared and not shared, all of it, um, I'm curious, you know, what are some of the biggest, and we may have already touched on them, but what are some of the biggest lessons or tools that you either wish you had known maybe back in the day or that, like, you mentioned, you know, how important being a father is to you or that, like, you'd love to impart on your kids or that you impart on your clients. Like, what are some of those big things, especially related to, like, being a man and, and whatnot? Um, love to hear some of those.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, so many things. But the first thing that comes to my mind, one of the biggest lessons I learned, and this is from Paramahansa Yogananda, if you're familiar with. Yeah. Biography of Yogi, right? And one of the things he said was, "Environment is stronger than willpower."
2: Right? Mm, yeah. And So
1: what I realized is, is before I ever, you know, read his book, one thing that I used to do was like, okay, Ken, all you need to do is place yourself in environments where you can grow. Get yourself around people who are doing the things that you want to be doing, that are healthy, happy, successful, you know, and have something to teach you. Right, and so I realized like it took me a long time, but like, I think this is a Bible verse. It's like, by beholding, we become changed or you become changed, right? and, and I think I, I finally learned that lesson that how how much of an impact that my surroundings were in the people that were around me. And so I learned that lesson, and I got the fuck away from everybody who was in pain. Everybody who was not doing the work and and that included my own family, and then I just left. So I would say one of the biggest lessons I learned was like to be humble, to like realize that that to 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 sit in a bar every day if you're trying to get sober is arrogant.
2: Hmm. Yeah. It's like
1: thinking that you're so powerful. Like, oh, I can, right? And so I was like, I have to just admit and be humble. It's like I don't have that much power over everyone around me or everything around me. I need to just start to to control what I can control, and that started with my own body, and then putting my place myself in places around with people that I can learn and grow from. And so that was like one of the most important things I learned that I, that I share with everybody. And, it, and it's like, and it's super easy. It's like, you don't have to overthink things. It's like, you know, <laughs> put yourself around good, positive people, especially if you're struggling in the beginning when you're make, making those changes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Try to think of some of the other things that I share with people a lot. And my clients, yeah. think things will come to me, but we'll just keep, keep yeah. kind of talking. But
0: like, yeah, like, no so pressure.
1: I mean, yeah, I'm in the process.
0: We've, I think we've right right talked on. talked about a lot of them too. <laughs> you know, yeah. I really, really love what you just said because I, I've actually never heard it be put that way, and I really. Love that. Environment is stronger than willpower. And I love that you brought it to humility as well, because I think that that is such a theme for humanity that, like, we think that we have to struggle in order for something to be valid or worth it or whatever. And it's like, no, just get yourself the fuck out of there, you know? And I correct me if 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 you have um, other thoughts on this, but I also think that that's something for like men especially because men are taught that you know they have to be the best and they have to be number one and compete and be the strongest, fastest, like biggest, whatever. And so there's some something about that, like proving like, oh, I can be around all of this and not take it kind of thing when it's like actually really difficult. And it's okay to admit that something is really difficult, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I think that's a huge struggle with something for me, you know, a competition with other men or compare myself to um, but I think of, who I thought I was supposed to be based on other men around me, you know? And yeah. So like going back to role, having role models, like, yes, role models are important, but there's also so, like, you know, there also comes a time to where anyone, I'm going to say specifically to men right now, like men that I work with, it's like, there comes a time where I'm like, like. You have to stop looking to other people to to define who you are
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right it's like role models can help us kind of develop and it's good to have those good positive role models but there's also this this line that that some people cross and like like i i never crossed that in my own life so i feel fortunate but it's like where they have this like you're my guru i'm gonna be just like you right and that can take people down another road so it's, it's bringing in balance like Having a mentor or guide or role models that can help us develop and grow, but not go so far as where we 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 don't do the work to really help us understand who we are.
2: Totally. You know?
1: And so it's like this, it's uh, the hero's journey. It's another. It's like speaking of tools. It's like that's another one of my tools that I use to help my clients. And everything we do is really based around like rite of passage or hero's journey type stuff. It's like, there's a deep desire in men. We'll just talk men from the masculine and the masculine and everybody, regardless of gender, women who consider themselves women are going on hero's journeys. So
2: for sure. But it's like,
1: <laughs> like there's this desire to individuate. Right. And we want, okay, who am I? Why am I here? You know, what are my own unique gifts? that I have to offer this world like beyond maybe skills that we developed or whatever. And, and so that becomes like the next part of the journey in development. It's like, okay, I had someone help me get to here as a role model. I feel strong and good and safe enough. And I'll go out on my own and explore further without necessarily, you know, the same
2: help,
0: you know, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, it's really easy to fall into. Um, this might be a strong word for it, but the word that's coming to my mind is mimicry in this work, uh, because there's a lot of language that we like a lot of people in the healing community tend to use. And there's lots of, there can be a lot of like going through the motions. Like I think it's pretty easy to kind of trick yourself and others into believing that one, you're doing the work and two that you're even okay at all. Right. Like there's plenty of people out there who like, who are at all different stages of life and who, um, whether purposely or, or not purposely uh, are, are making people to believe that they're okay when they're not. Right. And I think that there's um, a lot of that and like, it's actually, it can be really, really difficult to go inward. It can be really, really difficult and daunting and, um, and, So yeah, I totally hear what you're saying that like, it can be like, oh, I want, I want what they've got and I'm doing all the things, but I'm still not getting there. But it's sometimes it's not about going through the motions. It's about like really going deep and embodying it. And uh, yeah, totally hear what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day. And a lot of what I do, I describe as like embodied leadership training, right? And, and the way I describe embodied leadership is like, it's not your maybe average definition of what leadership is, where it's more like you think about positions of leadership and authority or whatever, or, you know, the corporate world or career. Like to me, it's like embodied leadership is like, I'm leading and influencing people from the depth of my being, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I am on a search to know who I am and what my truth is. And so I'm leading from that place of what I believe to be true and what I hold to be true in my heart. And that's like leading from that place. And so what came up the other day was me and a friend were talking about like this, what other people tend to do is like they're like, oh, here, I'll lift you up because you can help me. So they put mm-hmm. people on a pedestal, right? And I'm sure you've experienced that in your own life. And as a coach, it's like people come to us for help with mm-hmm. things, right? Yeah. And, and if I'm not aware of it, I can start to project out there a version of myself that I want them to, to see me as. Because I think that that version of myself is going to be more help to them.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Yeah.
1: And And, and then they see, they want to see this version of me too, because they, if they hold that higher version of me, then they're like, oh, you can definitely help me. And so there's just like this weird thing taking place. And so what I've chosen to do and what I do with my, with my clients is like, I'm very real, as real as I possibly can be and really open so that I don't fall into this trap because, because what I realized is like me allowing people to put me on a pedestal or me presenting myself to be someone i'm not is that part of me that doesn't fully feel powerful enough just as i am Mm
2: -hmm. to be able to
1: help right and so i'm like "Fuck that (laughs) because the the truth is i am me who i am right now right and there's a version of me that i want to step into But let us I got to be real. Me who I am right now is me who I am right now. And so to project anything else to anyone else is a disservice to them and a disservice to myself. And so I'm like, who I am right now is fucking powerful enough to help so many people just right now who I am. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to place myself on a pedestal. I'm not going to place people above me or below me. We're all right here. We're like, Mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm right does that make sense and I yeah had, i had a conversation about two years ago i'll just i'll just kind of wrap it up with this because i think it's really important but like a friend of mine we had this conversation he's in in leadership and, and with a very big organization and we were talking about this 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 phenomena and he's like he says men men want to raise you up they want to put you on a pedestal and i really quickly i was like well it's our job is step off. Right. Mm. And I think that like, just to speak to all the people out there who are in positions of leadership, it's like, when people try to place you up there, like it's a temptation to just, cause the ego goes, wow, look at me. I'm so great.
2: <laughs>
1: so great. And it, and it can be humbling to step off that, but I believe where the world is going The world needs embodied leaders who, who know that they're enough just as they are right now,
0: period. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's not even just if you're in a position where you're influencing people, whether it be coaching or, or some, or like some type of higher up position, like even just being a leader in your life, right. In any of your relationships where you're consistently humbling yourself and consistently stepping down from that pedestal to really, again, go inwards, but also to allow other people to flourish. And I think it's also like, um, kind of that saying where like, um, I don't know if it's actually a saying, but an idea that people talk about where it's like, only the people who, (laughs) yeah, only the people who don't want to lead should be leaders, essentially, right? Like the people who don't want power should be the ones in power, like that kind of idea, where you're able to remove yourself from the identity of being powerful, because the second that your identity is just complete, like, Power, like, and the control type of power, right? Because there's other beautiful forms of power, but um, control type of power is your identity that can be really dangerous. And then um, something else that came up for me too is that I don't. This is something I've been struggling with for for a few months now, at least, is uh, I don't know your perspective on this. I don't think we've talked about this, but I really wish that there was a different word for coach for what we do as as. As people and working in the world, because I think that um, the way whenever I have a new potential client come to me, I explain to them that for me there's a difference between coaching and, for example, consulting. Where consulting is more like what you're talking about with like staying on the pedestal, like I'm the expert, you look to me, I'm gonna tell you what to do and how to do it, and that's why you pay me. Whereas coaching being like, hey. I'm not the expert. Like you're actually an expert in your life. I've done a lot of things, and I have some knowledge and wisdom that helped me, and and I that I can probably help you with, and whatever. But like, you know, my goal isn't is to empower you to see that and to figure that out on on your own. But I think that there's so many people out there in the world right now calling themselves coaches who are doing more of the first one (laughs) that are doing more like, here's how you get your business together. Here's how you get your life together. Here's how, here's how, here's how. And it's like, whoa. (laughs) So I like almost wish there was a different word for what we do, but that's just my soapbox.
1: I was like, I hate the word coach. Yeah, Didn't like it at all. Right? And then after a couple of years, it actually started growing. I and I'm like, yeah, I'm a coach. It felt okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think, I think that for me, facilitator is like it's so much more resonant, but I was also limiting to the scope of what I do as well. It's like, yeah. I feel like I, I take on different roles depending on, You know, my clients and their needs, sometimes I'm a teacher, you know, and sometimes I'm like more of a guide or a mentor and sometimes I'm a facilitator, which I facilitate certain experiences for change to happen, right? I I consider myself a breathwork facilitator, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and so I think, I wish there was a different, different word for it too. And I think that's why a lot of us have so many different words to describe. Yeah. (laughs) Embodied leadership, masculine, feminine, you know, <laughs> like asc- ascending coach, soul, yeah. soul coach. It's like, <laughs> there's all these different titles because I think that we do put on a lot of different hats. Yeah, you know, I do. You know. Yeah,
0: totally. And totally. Yeah, yeah. But there's,
1: there's, there's, I'll share with you like another tool that I use.
0: Yeah, this is please. like
1: um, John Maxwell, who is like. I love John Maxwell. I've read so many of his books and learned so much from his teachings. And he talks about the three archetypes of the teacher, the student and the peer. Hmm. Right. And so I share these with a lot of my clients. I share these with people all the time. I'm like, okay, depending on, you know, me and you're talking right now, there's times where we're like peer to peer, we're sharing ideas, but there's times where I'm going to be aware and be like, oh, I can learn something right now that she's about to share. I want to put on that that student archetype and let her be the teacher. Right. And so I think it's very fluid, but these are kind of like so helpful because I look back now and I'm like, Oh my God, no wonder why my teachers hated me because I was wanting to be the peer peer to peer when I should have been, the student. you know, and it was frustrating for them. Like I wasn't being a good student. I was like, wait, I'm as smart as you. I want to be your peer, which for them is very frustrating. They're like, you're supposed to be the student. I'm trying to teach you, you know? So it's like that dynamic plays out all the time. And I think it's important, you know, to see like, okay, maybe best for me to step into a student role right now so I can learn something.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And going back to what you were saying about stepping off the pedestal. Like sometimes the most important times to be a student is in your supposed area of expertise, right? Like talking to someone who may have something to say or, or a different perspective on like the thing that you're supposed to be good at. Like perfect time to play student. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. right. We are starting to run out of time. Unfortunately, I feel like we could talk all day long, but I want to make sure we ask the final question. Ken, what does it mean to you to be fully expressed?
1: What does it mean to me to be fully expressed? Well, I think that expression comes in many forms Mm. and And uh, I think that the important place is where that expression coming from within us. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Is it coming from a deep place? Like from my heart is it coming from, or is it coming from the superficial place because I'm trying to armor up and it can only go so deep, you know? Mm. So I think to be fully expressed, what it means to me is like, it's like, It's someone who is continually doing the work to open up and we'll just get a little woo-woo, like these chakras, these, these centers within us that are, these are places of expression I can express from my sacral, express from my heart, express from my third eye, you know, and from my throat. So I think that fully expressed to me means like doing the work to open up all these places and try to, to remove these protective blocks that, that maybe we Place there over a lifetime, and it's different for everybody. Like I had a real, I was really fully expressed in my anger for a long time, you know. But I wasn't really fully expressed in my heart because I had so much protection built up around it. It just it wasn't able to be expressed. But uh, I was fully expressed in my sexuality because I was, you know, like felt connected to that part of myself. I felt I didn't feel shame around had as much shame as maybe some people, I would have shut down and not expressed myself sexually. So so the so my answer is to be fully expressed means that like that the expression that you're wanting to put out into the world is coming from deep open places within your being.
0: Mm. Yeah. So good. I love that answer. Thank you. Thank you. Ken, where can people find you, connect with you, work with you, all the things? How can they do that? Well,
1: um, the website is in the works. (laughs) So soon, soon to come. But for now, like I'm on Instagram. And so my Instagram handle is at life underscore force underscore liberator. Right. Life force liberator. So if you want to follow me on there, I'd love to connect and and that's the the main way and also just word of mouth most of my clients come to me from word of mouth and also if you're here locally in san diego let's let's get in a men's circle together if you're looking for a men's circle i've got i've got online stuff too i've got i've got um a men's container with like 80 men on it in telegram group that we do stuff online and in person it's called moksha which means liberation if you're familiar with the sanskrit term in yoga and so yeah it's free to join you find me on on instagram to do that
0: amazing and we'll add that to the description too so people can make sure to get involved awesome thank you so much ken Thanks for listening to the Fully Expressed podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so grateful if you would hit that rate and review button and leave us some love. If you want more content, more interaction with me, you can find me on Instagram at Stina S-T-I-N-A E Roland R-O-W-L-A-N-D. I'm so grateful for you and I hope that you make today the best day yet.